The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The 23rd Psalm, however you have heard it, perhaps memorized it, maybe paraphrased it in your own words, Words that come to life during the course of our journey until we die. The words heard most frequently at funerals, words perhaps you have heard. And yet as often as we hear the words, we don't always get the clear picture of what those words mean and who the Good Shepherd is. And so I hope over these next four weeks, as we dig a little deeper, as we dive into the message, that you will maybe come to memorize them, maybe read them more frequently, but I hope more than anything, develop that relationship with the object of the words, the Good Shepherd himself. And so over these weeks, we'll be looking at the paths. What does it mean for, for the Good Shepherd to make us lie down, something we don't always want to do? What does it mean for him to lead us on a certain path? And what is righteousness anyway? Where are the still waters? What is the green pastures? And how it is God through the words of King David, switch the imagery from that of sheep and shepherd to all of a sudden a great banquet. Now, who would you invite to your banquet? Most of the wedding receptions I go to are, are friends and family. But in the psalm, it's our enemies. What's up with that? And goodness and mercy. Are they really colleagues who follow us throughout life. <laughs> I was told that once by a member of my first church because that was the name of his dog, Goodness and Mercy. Today, as we begin, we have to start with the basics, and that's the, the two objects, really, of our psalm, the sheep and the shepherd. So, first of all, sheep. How many of you think that sheep are... Cute and cuddly, raise your hand. 
All right, show us a picture of a cute and a cuddly lamb. There you go, you are correct. All right, cute and cuddly lamb. You know, we don't have a lot of sheep in Illinois. There are a few. Texas, I'm told, is the state in the Union that raises the most sheep. Lots of sheep there. You could go up to the Dakotas, Montana, Idaho. There's lots of sheep there. But really, you have to go across the ocean to find a lot of sheep. China has more sheep than any country in the world. New Zealand has the most sheep compared to people. Five times as many sheep as there are human beings, so lots of sheep there. You can go along the country roads of Great Britain and see sheep there. Here, for the most part, they are in zoos or in pens. So let's show a picture of what sheep grow up to be sometimes. Not quite as cuddly, not quite as cute. And if you get close to them, they're... They're really kind of smelly, kind of stinky. They, they don't have a great reputation as being the smartest animals uh, in the flock. Although really sheep are rather intelligent creatures, but they have this bad habit of following the lead. They're very gullible and they'll do things that maybe other animals wouldn't do. For example, if they get turned over, they just kind of stay there until someone comes along and turns them back up again. So, you know, pictures of that. <laughs> I'm also told, I don't know if this is true or not, that sheep in the wintertime, when it gets really cold, will pile together for warmth. Sounds kind of smart. But pity the one who's on the bottom because they just keep piling on and on and on so much so that the one on the bottom could actually suffocate to death. So, I don't know, smart or not so smart, sheep lambs. It's not always a compliment, is it, to be called a sheep. Regardless, human beings are very much like sheep. We kind of wander, we go astray, we follow the crowd or the herd or the flock, we go with what the, the, the prevalent idea in our culture is, we don't always think for ourselves, and we often get ourselves in trouble. Again, I don't know if this is a true story or not, but I was told by a farmer that he had a whole bunch of sheep and every morning they would be led out of the barn by the lead ram. All the rest would follow him. One morning as he was going to feed the sheep in the morning, none of them had come out. They were all still in the barn. So he went, he went and looked to see what had happened. And as he went through the door, there was a, there was a little crack of light from the open door. It almost looked like a laser beam. And the lead ram looked at it as though it were dangerous, like it was some kind of laser beam, some kind of obstacle. And so he just stood there until finally he got this idea, I guess, in his head that he could jump over the obstacle. And so the farmer said, much to his amazement, he saw the lead ram jump over the beam of light and all the rest followed, jumping over the beam of light, very much like humans, where we see someone do something and we follow. Like sheep, we all need a shepherd. Because like sheep, we are tempted to wander, even from the good shepherd who cares so much for us. Sometimes as we wander, it is just something tiny. Imagine yourself, you're at work, and you hear some good juicy gossip about a co-worker, 
Children could tell me the right thing to do. Adults don't always do as well. What should you do when you hear gossip about someone else? Walk away, don't listen, stick up for them. Put the best construction on everything, the Eighth Commandment. All kinds of good ideas, but so often we are tempted. Oh, really? I didn't know that. And so we engage ourselves in the conversation. And we listen. Bad enough, but then what do we do? We're like the sheep and we go and do the same thing. And we tell someone else, did you hear about so-and-so? And pretty soon it spreads over the entire office. Or maybe as a child, you, you don't listen to your parents. Maybe you don't respect authority. Maybe only temporarily you disrespect your spouse or another loved one. We have all these things that we are tempted to do because we see so many other sheep doing the same thing. Sometimes it's our own nature. We don't even have to see someone else, but the world is calling to us. Our own sinful flesh is leading us in the wrong direction. We're like those sheep whose noses are their guide. And so they get into the briar patch and that nubby fur gets caught. And again, they have to wait for the good shepherd to come and free them. Jesus says sometimes it's even worse. Sometimes we wander off into the wilderness and we become lonely and lost. And sometimes we even hurt others because of our choices. Jesus said that our wandering, when we don't follow his word, when we don't follow his will, when we get outside of the boundaries of that fence, using all kinds of excuses out of our hearts, come evil thoughts and murder, other deadly consequences, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, and the list could go on and on and on and on. We know this from our own experience, but we also know it from history. Does anybody remember on Palm Sunday when Jesus, the good shepherd, is coming into Jerusalem, fulfilling the prophecy, riding on the donkey? What is everyone shouting? Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! They are praising God. They are saying, Lord, save us. They lay down their cloaks. They cut down the palm branches. They are giving him adoration and praise. And yet five days later, what is the cry? From the exact same people. The elders, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the leaders. They're no longer shouting Hosanna. They're no no longer pointing to Jesus as the Savior or the King. But rather it is crucify him. Crucify him following the lead sheep, not thinking for themselves, going along with the crowd, sacrificing the shepherd, the very one who was sent to love and care for them. And not just the crowd, but the twelve who are closest to him. The ones that Jesus knew intimately, the ones who had followed him for three years. Peter who had said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, like a thoughtless sheep, 
rejects him completely, denies that he even knows him, and is nowhere to be found when Jesus needs him the most at the cross. Whether you like the image of the cuddly lamb or the ugly sheep, it's not a compliment to be called one. And yet the truth is we are so much like sheep wandering away, following the crowd, even turning on the good shepherd. But that's the good news is that we have a shepherd. And not just any shepherd, but the good shepherd, the best shepherd that any sheep could ever possibly have. He's called good for a reason, not just because he is skillful, not just because he has great gifts, but because of what he does for them. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, if you had to go to the doctor, would rather go to a good doctor or a bad doctor? Which would you prefer? Raise your hand if you think it's good. Should you go to the good doctor? Yes, I would prefer that. How about if you need an attorney? Good lawyer or bad lawyer? Good one, right? How about an auto mechanic? Good one or bad one? Good one. We all want to go to the one who has skill, who has experience, who knows what they're doing. But character matters even more. When I was growing up on the farm, veterinarians still made house calls. We had one, we called him Good Doc Wetzel. We called him the good doctor, not because he was so experienced, though he had a lot of that. Not because he was skillful, though he was very good, he knew what he was doing. But because he cared. I mean, not everyone cares about pigs like we had, but he did. Not everyone cares for an old cow, but he did. Certainly chickens, (laughs) but he did. We have the good shepherd who loves us more than we love ourselves, who cares about us, who knows every one of us by name. Let me ask again a question. Parents, do you know the names of all of your children? Raise your hand if you do. That's good. I'm glad. You know, when you, when you get to about eight or ten, it gets a little tougher. I don't, I don't know uh, my wife Sharon, her, her dad, Walther, was one of, what, 16 or 17? That's a lot of names to remember. I mean, I would have thought after 10, it's just 11, 12, 13, just give them a number, right? We know the names, not just the names, but all the characteristics of those people that we love. We know their hair color. We know their eye color. We know what size our children are, what kind of clothes to get them, what their preferences are, what kind of ice cream they like. Did you know that there is one, more than one kind of vanilla ice cream? Yeah, some of your kids like old-fashioned, some like homemade, some like vanilla beans, some like French vanilla, but then you can add stuff to it, and so there are, there's chocolate chip vanilla ice cream, which is not to be confused, uh, <laughs> with cookies and cream. God knows everything about us. Even the bad things. 
He knows all of our sins, all of our errors, all of our mistakes. Even when we continue to wander, he loves us so much that he goes after us. He cares for every single one of us. Now, it should be comforting to you that he knows your name, but it should also be comforting that he knows the names of people outside of this room. Have you ever thought about that? The sheep are more than just this flock. Jesus said that I have other sheep. They're not in this sheep pen. He was talking about the Gentiles because you see the Jews thought at the time that God was only there for them. That he was exclusive. They were in the box and everyone else was outside. And indeed, Jesus said, I came first for the Jews, but also he came for the Gentiles. Which would be most of us. (laughs) And so everyone who is not in this room, those who are watching at home, are included in the fold. But not just them, everyone that is at any other church is also in the fold. And not just Lutherans, but Catholics and Methodists and Episcopalians and Presbyterians and those who don't even have a denomination. They're in the flock. And not only that, God wants all of those who are not yet Christian to be in the fold as well. And even those who are enemies of Christians. Even people who are over there, wherever over there is. Jesus came and died for them as well. He cares for the sheep, for every single one of us. He also says that he will be with us. He promises to keep his sheep. Now I ask this question a lot. And I'll ask it again. How many of you have problems in life? Raise your hand. How many of you, uh, your problem is a person sitting next to you, right? I ask that. We've all got problems, right? It's life. We're filled, we live in a sinful world. It's filled with sinful people, including us. So we know that there are going to be problems because sin causes problems. Jesus never promised that when you were in the sheepfold, you wouldn't have any problems. He never promised that when you became a Christian, that life would just be fun and roses from this time out. But what he did promise is that he would go with you, even through the valley of the shadow of death, which many of you have gone through, maybe even recently. As difficult as that is, as as challenging as that is, as hurtful as it is to have lost someone you love, Jesus is there with you. God is with you. God the Father knows exactly what you are going through because he lost his son who was violently put to death through no sin of his own, through no fault of his own. He even went voluntarily so that you and I could live forever. We have these signs as you see up there on on the screen. Around the country, 
where Christians and preachers are, are telling people, be ready, the Lord is coming, the end of the world, prepare to meet thy God. Sounds pretty scary, doesn't it? That's not the kind of God that we have. We have a God who wants everyone to be in the flock, who sent his son to die for all the sheep, even those who have wandered, so that everyone could finally be brought back to the fold. Jesus said this, which one of you, talking to the Pharisees, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? What do you think, people? You're a shepherd. You've got a hundred sheep. One of them wanders away. Do you, do you go after the one or try and keep the ninety-nine safe? Which is the better economic solution? If I am a farmer and I have a choice for the 99 or the 1, I'm choosing the 99 every single time. It just makes sense. And yet, what does a good shepherd do, kids? Goes after the 1, right? He goes after the 1 because you are so important. Do you ever wonder about those parables? The lost sheep, the lost son, the lost coin. It seems a little ludicrous. If I have coins in my house and, and one of them is a penny, am I going to turn up everything to look for it? Of course not. Most of our establishments these days don't even take coins, but if they do, you give away your pennies. You don't want them. And here she is searching the whole house. It must be a very valuable coin. It must be a very valuable sheep. And certainly that son, that child, is incredibly valuable because it is you and it is me. A century and a half ago, there was a man by the name of Francis Thompson. You may have heard or read somewhere in a literature class his poem called The Hound of Heaven. We sometimes think that the prodigal in that story was a really bad guy, wishing his father was dead, going off, partying all the time, squandering all of his resources, all of his money, finally having to eat with the pigs, thinking I could go back and be a servant to my father. As far as he had sunk, Francis Thompson sank lower. He was living with prostitutes. He used them to earn money to support his drug habit. He had rejected the Lord time and time and time and time again, and yet the Lord pursued him like the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. And even after Francis rejected God, God continued. He rejected him again and he still continued until finally he was rescued and he was brought home in the loving arms of his good shepherd. That is what God does for every single one of us. No matter what we've done, no matter how many times we have wandered, no, many, no matter how many times we've rejected the Lord, He keeps coming after us. That's the Good Shepherd. So, how many of you need a shepherd? Anybody? I do. You do. Unless you're a cow or a pig or maybe a horse, you probably don't. But we're sheep. We wander. 
we stray, we get ourselves into trouble, trouble which we cannot get out of on our own. We have this God, we have this shepherd who comes after us no matter what. You know, in ancient times, the shepherds would gather all the sheep together so they could take them to an altar and kill them and sacrifice them to their pagan god. In the Gospels, we have a shepherd who gathers together his sheep and then goes to the altar of the cross and sacrifices his life. So we get a picture of just how gracious and loving our God is. It's my prayer over these next four weeks that you would read the psalm every day. Not just to memorize it, though that would be wonderful. And not just to hear the words, but so that you can develop an even greater relationship with the Good Shepherd who takes care of all of you as the sheep. May God grant that for Jesus' sake. Amen. So arise now and make profession of our faith.